Gentlemen, Chris and Drew and David Kraus, glad to have you guys with us today. I want to welcome you guys and uh, anybody who's going to either join us now or is kind of watching this on demand uh, to the Red List webinar and podcast. We're really we're glad to bring to light some of the stories that really empower and inspire the distributor sales reps and sales engineers that are in the field making it happen every day. Today, I'm going to be hosting today's discussion. Uh, my name is John Keller. I'm the president of Red List. I really am passionate about businesses that make a positive impact in our lives and in the world. And I love meeting the people that are behind those businesses. So we're, today's format is a little different than some of the other webinars and uh, kind of recordings that we've done. Today, we're, we have two guests joining us in a little bit more of a panel discussion. So as, as you guys know, our audience is really the field rep or engineer that's doing the data grind, that's helping their customers to get the fuel, lubricant, or other chemical supply that they need to operate their business day by day. And um, what we really have is a chance to hear from you, gentlemen, and share that message with the other people who are who have been in your shoes or would like to be in your shoes one day, and kind of kind of see what that journey is is like. Um, maybe I want to start just kind of asking, maybe turn the time over to David Krause to introduce himself, tell us a little bit about what he's doing today and also his story, how he, how he got here. And uh, also after that, David, we got the time over to Christopher and Drew, so. I, thank you, John, for having me. And I, and I really appreciate the opportunity to, to share, you know, some of the experiences that I've had and with our team. And I, I, I'll try to be quick here and try to keep uh, keep the recording clean, being that I'm in a, in a vehicle riding with a couple of my sales reps today, which is my favorite place to be anyway. Um, started my career uh, 30 years ago uh, working for a fuel cart company and uh, started an operations environment. I moved into sales as a, as a way to diversify my skill set. And when the operations guy wanted me to come back, I'd already fallen in love with selling and having the opportunity to have a different day every day and not not have to do the same thing all the time. And um, over the years, I spent my time with um, in the fuel card business. I spent seven years in the waste business, waste industry, uh, a few years as a small business banker. And the last 20 years, I've been in the lubricants business, and it's been the best transition for me. Um, uh, spent about 15 years with a Chevron distributor out of Nashville. And the last two and a half years, I've been with uh, McPherson Oil in, in Birmingham and throughout the Southeast. And, uh, uh, really been a great, uh, great transition for me. Uh, everybody needs to find their tribe, and I think I found mine. So uh, that's my that's my background, and I'll, I'll let Chris uh, one up me. Thanks, David. That's a great background. Chris, let's hear a little bit about your background. Okay. Well, thanks, John. Thanks, David. I don't think I can one up you. You're uh, you're doing this while moving along at seventy miles an hour through apparently Birmingham, but. Uh, I started off, I kind of backed into reliability uh, unbeknownst to me when I came out of uh, university. I started uh, working in the oil and gas industry in northern Alberta, and uh, I was selling specialty chemicals and corrosion inhibitors, uh, demulsifiers, scale inhibitors, and things like that. And so 
early on, I didn't realize it was reliability that I was that I was doing. Um, but if the uh, if the pipeline corrodes away, uh, you, you you tend to make the uh, you tend to make the news. And so, um, but I've, I've I've you know transitioned over the course of thirty years. I've been a process engineer, a reliability engineer. I've been an operations making product and having the, uh, you know, what seems like unrealistic demands being put on you for how you have to make the machines run and you run them flat out until they until they crash and burn. Then I've worked the maintenance side of it where you're picking up the pieces and putting Humpty Dumpty back together again. And over the last 15 years, um, I transitioned to a training company. And so then I got an opportunity to build classes uh, and to train operators, maintenance mechanics, reliability engineers, uh, and leaders in all the finer points of uh, of reliability and equipment reliability, and making helping to make processes run so that we can make money. And where I come at it at, from a passion standpoint is all the technical knowledge is is is. Is, is very important and, and very, very good. But if you don't understand what motivates the humans to do what you need them to do, <laughs> then we still end up working. Most people are selfish and we still end up working in, in ways that are sometimes contrary to the best interest of the business because I might want to make my scorecard go green. And in order to do that, <laughs> I'll do something that won't be necessarily as good to the uh, to the rest of the business. So I've always come at it from uh, what motivates people and how do you set up the motivations um, to allow to get try and get the best of everything. Uh, and so, you know, that's where that's where my focus is now with uh, with with peak reliability is to uh, is to work take that background and help people with. Uh, Putting in place practical solutions to the to the problems that are standing in their way from having a good day. No, I, I appreciate that. I think you know there's a lot that goes into the reliability side. It's really behind the scenes. A lot of people don't realize what it takes to make a piece of equipment continue to run all the time, to, and what what it can mean when that equipment goes down. You know, I I didn't grow up in like a heavy industry type environment. My my mom was kind of a farmer person. My dad was a, an electrical engineer, you know, and uh, it was really about 10 years ago when I started getting involved in Red List that I started just noticing almost for the first time, like all the types of equipment that's rotating or going on around me and realizing how many people's jobs, but also how many people's supplies, how many people's like day-to-day -day items that they live with require those people behind the scenes to get things done. So I appreciate your guys' background and kind of the journey of what goes on there. Um, you know, it's interesting as we were looking at putting this kind of panel discussion together, uh, when we were doing a lot of, and I, you know, reached out to a lot of you guys. I harassed you on your LinkedIn and your social media and tried to get a hold of you. And, and um, it was interesting because my first reached out to people, and their common response was, oh, you're talking about supply chain problems. You know, today we want to talk about hacks to, as being out in the field, how do we get over supply chain issues? And, uh, and a lot of people like saying, well, you should talk to an operations guy, you know? And I got that actually, that's a lot of, of people's first response. I'm like, well, I get it. Um, but really we wanna talk about the implications that this has in the sales world, right? When we're out there, we're, we're trying, like you have customers who have needs, 
they 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 need it yesterday right and and you're the one that's supposed to be their hero and their you know their constant supplier and sometimes you guys run into some challenges and difficulties in that and so what we want to kind of talk about today is how does what kind of just open it up a little bit and talk about with i want to know how your world today is being affected with a lot of the supply chain that is breaking down and this has been happening for a while especially you know at covid we saw the news of just tanker after tanker i think it was something like you know enough tankers to string across the united states from toe to you know bow to stern we saw that happening way back in you know march of 2020 but here we are two years later uh what is this how what is the supply chain view from your perspective and how is that affecting your day-to-day and maybe i want to start and turn this one over to david if he's in a position to answer that and then we'll ask chris yeah and, and i think you know as as a lubricant distributor i mean petroleum products were severely affected by supply chain whether it was the majority of it was driven by additives and and uh, there was obviously most of us that are in that business or on that side of the business recognize the grease fire um, that affected the entire channel for grease production. And you know what we're forced to do. And 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 at the end of the day, we we are the last we're the last mile we call it. We're the last mile of the supply chain for customers. And what we had to do, and and what most a lot of our peer group has done as well, I think. Is you know you got to find alternatives. You got to find solutions that <clears throat> that that keep you know the steel mill running. They keep the the law the lumber operation producing. I mean, in the midst of all this, you had pretty high steel demand, and you still had a ton of housing construction going on. Well, those are two heavy industries that are constantly or that are very very dependent upon lubricants and reliability, and and the saw blades have to move, and the and the the rolling mill can't stop, and and you know it, it wasn't a solu- it wasn't a choice for us to say no, I don't have it, because you do that, and you're talking about millions of dollars a day, sometimes millions of dollars an hour, that affect your customer base. And in order to be a resource and a partner for our customers, we just had to find alternatives. And you know, we we leveraged the size of our organization and our buying power to develop and facilitate a an alternative product line that didn't interfere with our relationships that were contractual, um, but had material equivalency in their performance. And the other thing we did at the same time was where a lot of people were downsizing sales forces and, and cutting headcount. We were building, we were building a stronger, deeper team of, of professionals, uh, getting the right kind of experience in guys that could be solution providers and, and solve, you know, pain points for our customers at every level, whether it was, you know, making product last longer, uh, finding an alternative, wh- whatever it took to sustain their operations, which for us selfishly sustained our relationships. And that's been our, that's been our solution. We had a phenomenal financial return from that. And uh, it actually has spawned growth in our business. Uh, I think it's just a matter of recognizing where the opportunities are and having the flexibility and the agility as an organization to take advantage of opportunities when they present themselves. And, and a lot of times those challenges as salespeople, we know challenges are opportunities. And if you look at them the right way, um, if you got the right mindset and you, you feel like every challenge is a chance to succeed, 
that's if that's your mindset and you have a growth mindset you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna find a way to do it and um you know to try not to get too specific about this but i mean at the end of the day um we had a philosophy just keep the customers wet whatever we got to do to keep them wet we'll keep them wet that keeps that that was our contribution to the reliability side beyond that we integrated our our technical people into as many operations and customers as we could to try to find other ways to help them stay operational and say sustained through that process does that answer your question no no that does that's a i got uh i got some more questions i want to come back to but that that's a good summary of how you guys i guess my kindergarten teacher growing up always said when life gives you lemons make lemonade and it sounds like you found a way to make a lot of lemonade that, that yeah exactly i mean it, it I, I think if it's the distributor channel side of things you don't have an option to say no because if you say no there's somebody who can say yes and another solution we found, and, and one of the one of the strategies we employed for some of our customers or the people that became customers, were you've got a primary supplier, but what happens if your primary supplier doesn't have a solution for you? You really need to have a backup plan. And it was it was as much a business sustainability as it was a reliability alignment. Um, you know, we started to investigate and integrate additional technology tools. Uh, obviously, tank monitors are very popular in our business right now, but, you know, a vendor managed inventory scenario where it's not your customer having to rely on on themselves to check tanks and things like that. We're watching that for you. We're keeping an eye on that. And that and we were able to use those monitors and things like that to forecast our needs and be out in front of the order pattern or the time delays that were out there uh, so that we can maintain supply and, and keep folks again, keep keep everybody wet. That was the goal. Oh, that's awesome. No, I appreciate that. So uh, sounds like right now you, you've really found a cadence even today with the, some of the supply challenges that have been going on. Yeah, we've got a strong supply chain team and, and, and that team is, uh, has done a great job. We've got a good, uh, obviously being where we are in the Southeast, we've got a number of opportunities for um, alternative suppliers and things like that. that we can, we can, we can bounce around, we can shop around. We, we have our standards for, for product performance. Um, everybody has to meet that standard or, we're not, or they're, not a, they're not a vendor to us. Um, but ultimately, we had to diversify our supply chain in order to be a diversified supplier for our customer base. Yes. No, that's good, that's a good point. All right, thank you, David. And then uh, Chris, how is, tell me about your supply chain world. Like, what are you seeing and what's like your current state? Well, ours is ours is a little bit different than than David's in in terms of you know it's uh it's not it's not a it's not always a specific product as it is as it is trying to get knowledge out there. Um, but one of the things that that we were that we were challenged with uh, over the last three years was um, you know pretty much uh, customers closed the doors to anybody coming on site. And you know it's hard to help people uh, when you want to help people, but you can't actually get out their boots on the ground to help them. And so one of the one of the challenges, you know, and and I think that's one of the one of the things that came out of the last three years is we're much more comfortable chiming in remotely now, you know, and and whereas it used to be you 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 wanted to be in somebody's office in their door if you want to you know do that and we know that 
we know that that's still probably the gold standard for checking in with people and trying to find ways to help. But if you can't do that, then how do you go about trying to be of service and trying to help them? You find other ways. And, uh, you know, so we, we did lots of uh, lots of Zoom calls, <laughs> lots of online, you know, lots of Teams meetings, uh, lots of, uh, you know, instructor led training across of across these 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 types of platforms in order to in order to help people out. And, uh, you know, we ended up tying ourselves to uh, um, one of the fulfillment center companies. And uh, you know we we grew uh, fivefold in about uh, in about six months uh, from an instructor base, and that was uh, you know that was a, a wild ride trying to um, trying to go ahead and get the materials to build out dynamic demonstrators and units because the things that some of the things that we used to use would potentially have some components coming from offshore, couldn't do that. Uh, reliably, you know, nobody wants to be caught at the whim of some uh, some uh, uh, container ships floating off the coast of California to know that your stuff is there. So, you know, we, we focused in on uh, onshoring uh, as much as we could to uh, to make sure that instead of having something come from offshore, well, let's let's bring it in from Wisconsin or from Minnesota. Um, and where, where it can be manufactured and we have a higher probability of success. Um, and with our clients, we know that, you know, they're having to do, as, as David said, trying to uh, substitute in sometimes uh, various, various machine components because they can't get the one in a time, the one that the OEM in a timely fashion. And we know that that brings, we know that that there's always risk when you do that. There's there's a probability of something going sideways or wrong is is small, but it, it's always there. So, you know, one of the things that we've all we've focused on is if it's repair materials or spare parts, let's make sure that we've got the, the machines taken care of and the equipment sets taken care of in such a way that we avoid having the failure altogether. You know, uh, if it's on the lubricant side, let's take care of the oil leaks you know let's let's make sure that we're not uh, uh that we're not putting the the oil on the ground that it's staying in the gearboxes it's staying in the central lube oil unit so that we don't have to order more of a precious commodity and i think that's one of the uh one of the things that you know that that we heard uh you know resounding was you know it, it makes it easier to manage if we don't if we can just avoid the failures um you know altogether no no those are solid points so you some of your key strategies it sounds like you employed was really moving to onshoring and mm -hmm. uh doing whatever you could there uh, kind of to david's point of like just making sure that you got redundant supply and you have different trusted vendors that you can work with yeah. and also you're really putting an effort and a push to extend equipment life which I think, again, ties back into what Dave was doing when he's talking about really coming up with solutions based uh, mm -hmm. relationships with the customers of saying, hey, what are the actual problems if, if you can't find the parts? How do we make that piece of equipment run longer, last longer, uh, run better kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. So now one of the things, you know, Chris, in our conversation we had before uh, coming on to today's 
conversation was you had kind of mentioned how for you, you kind of see the supply chain was not just materials, but you're kind of looking at people as a supply chain. And that was kind of interesting because I just I just finished a book. I'm I'm a total bibliophile, I'm afraid I'm that guy, right? <laughs> so, uh, and I just I just finished a book by a guy named Peter Zion. And it's called uh, The End of the World is Just Beginning. And in this, he kind of describes how we've had this kind of demographic shift that's taking place on a global scale. And so we just don't have the number of incoming workforce that we used to have. Now, granted, we can sit and talk about the profile of the incoming workforce and how they've been playing video games maybe a little too long and don't care as much about being out in the real world. Just kidding. Uh, but like, there's a lot of people who want to, you hear a lot of people talk about, well, the new, the upcoming workforce, they just don't want to work, right? But when you actually look at the data, it's not that they don't want to work. It's that there's a lot fewer of the upcoming workforce coming into play than there used to be, right? I mean, I grew up in a family of 13, right? And you don't find that very often anymore. Like if you find a family of four, like that's a big family. And so, so it was interesting when you said that, I was like, oh, you know, there probably is a deeper, there's a bigger background going on in terms of like the labor force in general, right? So maybe, maybe Chris, if you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. I was, uh, uh, I was invited to speak at a, uh, at a symposium, uh, reliability symposium for a, uh, a large integrated uh, pulp and paper maker in, uh, in North America in December. And I had, I uh, got to talk to 24 of their uh, maintenance managers from around North America. And, you know, I'm looking at things looking forward and I'm asking them sort of a big, a big picture question is like, well, where do you, where do you want to be three years from now? You know, what, and, and what are the things that we need to do to get us to those goals? What are, you know, when I'm thinking, what improvements do we want to make? And they said, you know, almost to a man in the room, they said, Chris, we, we want to get back to where we were three years ago. So they had so many um, skilled, experienced people just kind of pack it in and, and walk out uh, during that time that, you know, where it used to take 20 to 25 years for somebody to progress up the 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 chain of command to be a top operator running the power boiler you know they've got a guy that's uh came in off the street and he's doing it he's he's running that job now in 18 months and everybody's nervous because it's hard to replace uh it's hard to replace that experience and so you know when you look at when you look at what kind of side impacts that can have uh, you know unintended consequences of not, uh, of, of having the less experience um, you know there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of collateral stuff that I think that we take for granted you know with the experienced workforce and and uh, you know what kind of tools and what kind of things can we offer these up-and-comers and, uh, you know, I, I'm glad that they're comfortable, uh, they're comfortable working on devices, you know, uh, if it's an iPhone, if it's, uh, if it's an Android, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to them, they're device agnostic, you know, because I, I think there's a lot of, uh, um, there's a lot of help that we can give them from the technology side where we can take some of those learnings and things and, and 
package that into into the technology so that they have you know access to some of that experience uh, from somebody that's got 20 or 30 years experience uh you know at at hand without necessarily having to go and and, and look at a youtube video but you know sometimes sometimes youtube is good but sometimes it's like wikipedia it's not always it's there but it's not always honest so uh, you know that's that's one of the things that we really saw is the you know the 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 migration of all the skill going out and and i think it 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 is laid bare uh to some companies that they didn't have uh all that experience documented down what people were actually doing what they knew uh when they left when they walked out the gate uh, the experience went with them and the job plans and everything else that they did they went with them and now they're sitting there with uh, with young people young guys coming in trying to do a great job but they don't have any they don't have somebody that they can ask well how do you do this and they've got 30 years of experience to show them hey you do this and do this but don't do this because bad things will happen <laughs> you know and so that's uh, that's 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 real yeah i, no, I could have yeah. said that better uh, john i'm sorry to interrupt you but I, you know no, Chris, and, and and i'll say it you know from a as a hiring manager side of things um the the opportunity to to hire experience is getting harder um mm -hmm. because there are you know, folks exiting the system, so to speak, or they're going and they're saying, you know, I was I was dependent on a company and 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 they depended on me, and then things changed, and now I'm going to have to be self-reliant going forward. And you got a lot of folks that are gone a different direction, that started their own business, left the industry completely, you're doing something different. And so, uh, I actually had an interview this morning uh, for an open position, and um, where we used to consistently look for people who had lubricant experience or had you know, product experience in our industry, um, we've had to change, we've had to adjust. And, and and we hear it from our clients as well. We hear it from our customer base all the time. You know, the 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 exodus of, of talent, experience, whatever, um, everybody's having to, and, and I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but we're all having to get younger uh, in our organizations. And, you know, the, the, the critical part of that is you have to take what Chris described, I described as tribal knowledge, you have to you have to impart that and you have to have a, an organized way to do it so that you continue with your quality of service you continue to be a resource to your customer base and you continue to develop the next generation of people who um, they, they come with great ideas the, the younger folks come in with great ideas reliability and sustainability should be very attractive for them to to, to come into the industry to come into any industry because of of the culture of their generation um, at least from what I'm seeing, and, I, and I've got three daughters that are in that generation, and I hear it from them all the time. For me, it's a challenge sometimes because I'm in one of those dirty businesses that, that nobody wants to be a part of because it's it's evil and all this other stuff, but it's really not. It's necessary. And even with the challenges that are or the changes that are coming down the pipe with electric vehicles and everything else, there's still rolling elements in everything that that moves from point a to point b it's not going to certain things are not going to go away and we're having to adapt with that and and our customers are seeing the same thing you know you get a guy that stood down there and, and ran the saw guide for 25 years and he gets sick god forbid or he decides to retire and there's no backfill and exactly what chris said there are unintended consequences 
there are unplanned um, risks that you have to, that, that most companies are more desperate to get a body than they are to, to, have, a, to, to have an organized, um, planned, methodical onboarding process. And we chal- we, we're challenged with it too. I mean, I, we've, part of our five-year strategic plan, one of the things we're looking at is what are we doing for onboarding? And, and that contributes to sustainability, reliability as a, as a provider, but it also contributes to the sustainability and reliability of our customer base. Because if we don't bring them on board right and we're constantly turning them over, we're not a value anymore. And, and we, we can't afford that in our business. Oh, I, I love that. I think you guys, it's interesting, you're, you're identifying this supply chain issue that's maybe not as apparent, right? It's not necessarily results of the grease fire. It's a, it's a function of maybe it's been in, in the making for years. And so it's a slow, it's a, you kind of get into it without realizing you're there. Now we're here. Um, and I'm hearing this, there's, it seems like there's a challenge or an opportunity from both sides. One, you have a, a management challenge, right, of getting people in and downloading that tribal knowledge, like you said, as quickly as possible. And also from, a, from an oncoming challenge, if I'm a new guy that's going to onboard, then I want to know how am I, what, if, what, should, what should I be looking for to actually be successful? How, how do I know that the organization that I'm joining is going to help me be successful or am I just going to be like, so new, so undertrained, so underperforming that I'm just going to be washed out with the next cycle. So I guess let's talk about a hack here. Let's look for a hack. What is a hack in your mind? Something that would maybe address the issue from a management perspective. And also, if I'm if I'm a young blood who's just looking to jump in, what is a hack I should be looking for to like, ooh, ask these two questions if I'm going to onboard with this company and and that might help me actually get the job I want, right? So maybe I'll yeah. – maybe David, I see you. Yeah, Chris, I'll go first if you don't mind, and, I, and I'll, I'll just use the experience from this morning. Um, you know, we have an interview process, and uh, we start with the hiring manager, and then I get involved, and then we have a few other people to talk with somebody. One of the things that I do a lot, spend a lot of time with my conversation with them, is not really asking questions about their sales process or their experience or anything like that. I can see all that in, an, in a resume. What I talk to them about is what kind of culture are they looking for? What kind of environment do you want to work in? What are your goals? What, are you, what is your long-term strategy for yourself? Whether you're 25 or 55, what, what is it you want to do? What, what do you want to be in, in the next job or the next role you have? What, are, what is your timeline? What, are your, you know, uh, do you, what kind of patience do you have? How much investment are you willing to make in those things? Because from understanding those things from them, we develop a coaching plan around that. And that coaching plan is, is built around somewhat around our goals, obviously, but, but they're around the individual's goals as well. Because at the end of the day, if we identify somebody who we think has a talent, has a long glide path, and, and, and can be in the industry a long time, what benefit is it to us to not invest in that individual? You know, you, you have to look at them as, an, as any other return on capital employed or return on investment. You know, what you put in is what you're going to get out. And we, we strive to increase continuously increase our input into people so that we don't have that turnover scenario because we're we're kind of in a trust business and and, and chris as an as an engineer as well i mean you know this you 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 grow relationships built based on trust and the more you can the more times you're trustworthy and the more times you deliver and the more times that you meet your ex the customer's expectations or exceed them the more opportunities you're going to have to retain that relationship and the same thing goes for equipment. You know, the more the more effort they put into their equipment, the more 
time they spend um, investing in that equipment and keeping it at, a, at, at an optimal performance, the less likely they're going to have to have a cost associated with it not being available. So our hack, one of our hacks for people is just our interview process. I mean, take a look at your interview process and how are you doing things? I'm not saying that we have the absolute solution, but we have three or four different folks that, that interact with a target and we have different responsibilities and different roles and how we communicate with them so that we get the most accurate picture before we make an investment in an individual. And that's one of our hacks there. I, I think on the sustainability and equipment side of things, if, you, if you're talking hacks there for, for dealing with supply chain or dealing with reliability, uh, there are a number of tools out there. Obviously, um, your hat's one of them, John. I mean, that's a great resource, um, something that we promote and are starting to promote more. Um, but there's other things. I mean, again, I mentioned, you know, using monitors to, to help us forecast and to help us acquire faster so that we can supply on time. Um, I think every industry, and I don't know how many industries are represented by the audience or anything, but every industry has the opportunity to, I don't want to say round off the corners, but, you know, if the shortest distance between two points between you and your goal is a straight line, stick to the straight line. I mean, that's the best advice I give people. Know what your goal is and, and, and don't do anything that distracts you from the goal. And, and, and after you achieve that goal, have another one. Have the next step in your goal aligned up as well. So um, I'm not sure I answered your question all the way, but that's, that's kind of my thoughts on it. Chris, no, David, I, I, think, I think that's great. I can see a meme coming up after this of stick to the straight line. I can see that kind of coming together. So no, that's really good. Okay, no, that's, and I want to, so let me just, so a couple, oh, go ahead. I said, find somebody prettier than me to be the picture. <laughs> not all of you. <laughs> Great. Uh, that's not going to be me. I assure you that. I got a, I got a face for radio. I've been told that. And I don't even have a voice for radio. That's the hard part. But anyways, okay, so we look at this and we say, hey, if we got the, this concept of your hacks really kind of said, is pay attention to the interview process. Culture matters. I hear two things. Culture matters. So really ferret out a culture match. And then the second thing is invest for a big return is what I'm hearing in like, as you're, as you're interviewing, okay, make sure they match the culture and then recognize the real commitment that it means to invest for a big return in that person. And so that's, that's super helpful. And then as far as extending equipment life, I think you're the hack I'm hearing as a kind of takeaway there is just stick to the straight line. Like, don't be afraid call it out. Your, your customers are thinking it, you're thinking it, just stick to the straight line and people will appreciate that. Okay. That's good. All right. Dave, uh, Chris, Chris, let's hear, what are some of your hacks for some of the supply chain and challenges? Well, if, if we're, if we're talking about the, uh, the supply of people and if, if I piggyback on, on, on David with the, uh, I agree absolutely with, uh, with the culture, you know that is that is very very important, and I think uh, um, I think it's underappreciated. Uh, you know, by by us by us older guys, <laughs> but I think it's it's it, you know they just wasn't it wasn't part of when we went into industry. It was like you know do this or you're fired. You know that was. <laughs> there wasn't, there wasn't much. I think David just uh, he couldn't agree more. So yeah. So, but you know, when when it comes to when it comes to hiring, when it comes to hiring people, when you look at some of the studies, um, you know that the the top three things for for hiring somebody is okay. 
uh, pay, you know, pay. Everybody needs to get paid. So if you if you offer above average pay, okay, that will make that will be a, that will be an attractant. Uh, benefits is is going to be important. And then you know, challenge. Uh, mo most interviewees won't say it, but work life balance. They're looking at what the work life balance would be, uh, whether they're going to hire on with you. Okay, and so then. So you get the money and the compensation out of the way. You get the the uh, the extrinsic. You're talking about the extrinsic motivators, okay? Those are what attract people uh, into an organization. Then, when you take a look at you know what what uh, uh, what retains people, well, that, uh, money isn't money isn't at the at the top. It's uh, it's rewarding work. Okay, it's it's uh, having lots of challenges and being able to progress or move up. And when you look at the studies, it's like money doesn't have anything to do with it. Okay, that's not what that's not what retains people, you know. And then when you take a look at what engages people, what is going to make somebody a key contributor to your organization, you know, uh, autonomy over task and time. Is uh, is is one of the or uh, uh, two of the things that are right up there, and then you know um, the ability to work at or to practice becoming trying to get to an expert level. You may never achieve it, but you keep moving towards that expert level. And if you've been doing something for five years, ten years, fifteen years, just by the number of sheer hours you've put in, you start to attain that whether you were really good at it or not in the beginning after you've spent a, a serious amount of time doing it you know you start to get to that expert level so when you take a look at you know what a, what a, what's going to attract somebody what's going to retain them and what are the three things that are going to engage money and benefits come in at the at the front so if you get that right right off the bat um pay a little bit more uh, then, then everybody else have good benefits. People will be able to move on, kind of like up Maslow's uh, uh, hierarchy of needs, because they're not worried about food and shelter. But if you if you aim to pay mid scale, you know you'll be striving for mediocrity, and you'll likely be achieving mediocrity. And so, you know, get those things those things uh, done up front. And uh, then you can allow people to flourish. And then, then it's really up to us as leaders to paint the picture of here's where we're going towards and you doing these tasks is helping the whole organization and helping us all achieve this goal. We have to connect the dots for people. Um, and we don't always do a great job of that. We, we sometimes just have people grinding away and they don't understand what they're grinding for when they understand it and they see how it's helping a customer, how it's helping a client, how it's making their lives better, then it really starts to have a, an impact and, and people really get engaged in what they're doing and, and really, you know, give their all. And that's, you know, that's what you're looking for is when you get somebody engaged, they start giving their discretionary effort. They go above and beyond the call of duty and and they keep customers happy. <laughs> they always call back even 
even if you even if you have supply chain issues that are beyond your control, they understand that you are truly trying to figure out how to get something. You might have to borrow from their competitor, who you also supply, to give it to them. You know, take from Peter to pay Paul. But we try to figure out, you know, what's the best way to keep everybody uh, moving forward. Yeah, and I'll just add one more thing. You 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 pay for the behavior that you want. Right. If, if you want um, if you want to ad- attract the best talent, like Chris said, you, you got to take a look at your pay scale. You got to take a look at that and make sure that you are offering the best talent, the best opportunity. The second thing, if, if you're hiring salespeople and you want a hunter, you know, you got to pay for you got to pay for wins. If you want somebody who's going to farm accounts, um, Make sure they have the right incentives to take care of every single customer, no matter how big or how small. Take a look at your compensation. Make sure it aligns with your goals. Make sure it aligns with the type of people that you want to attract. And like Chris said, create, give them the opportunity. Tell, tell your story. Sell your, sell your organization's growth plan, your strategy, your, your culture, your philosophy on business, and, 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 and align with people who, who want that. And, and then you don't have... Typically, you won't have the turnover. You won't lose somebody for a dollar an hour. Um, I, and Chris, you and John, you guys both are leaders. You've hired a lot of people in your careers like me. Typically, when we lose somebody, um, I always try to look in the mirror first before I look out the window for the reason. And and almost always, I find the answer in the mirror. It's something that we haven't done for them, uh, aligned with their goals. We, we lost sight of that. Um, they left because of a, a bad relationship with a manager, whatever. You know, hold yourselves accountable internally as well to make certain that everybody's aligned for the right purposes. And, you know, those are the best ways. That's the best ways I've found to retain and to to build good teams and then keep a good team together for a long time. I think those are really, really solid points that you guys make. And uh, I'm going to kind of summarize that. I I picked up kind of three additional kind of hacks. One is meet at the forefront of the extrinsic motivators because you're gonna get what you pay for. So if you want somebody who's at the forefront, just be willing to lay it out there so you can attract them. And I think really, I loved uh, David's point of just look in the mirror first, right? Like we're gonna like look inside and see where we're falling short. And it sounds, sounds to me like what David said, when we look in the mirror, oftentimes we see the point that Chris just made, which is like, did we connect the dots? Did we connect the dots for our workers to see the reward of what they're accomplishing, right? And so I think that those those three kind of points, so meet the forefront of extrinsic motivators, look in the mirror first and connect the dots to see rewarding work. I thought those are solid points. So we're kind of getting close here to the end and I, but I didn't want to, I wanted to make sure we asked, I have two burning questions and I don't know if we have quite time for both of them. But we live in a world today where, um, man, the, the financial markets are wild. The uh, prospects of global peace and peaceful world trade seem to be diminishing world uh, in the world day by day. Uh, we're seeing a lot of shifts and transitions as we're moving into 2023. And so I guess I want to just, and you guys have a unique position because you're, you're both uh, in some management positions and you're also in the field. Like, you, you know, David's out on... Uh, side by sides today, just kind of going through the field. And, and Chris, you're constantly training thousands of different people who are in the field. So 
I guess my question is, if we're going to read the tea leaves for a minute, I want to hear some of your, your predictions for additional obstacles that the industry will face moving into 2023. And I want to open it up for either of you guys that just have some ideas like, well, if I was to be a betting man in the next nine months, right? Uh, I'm going to predict that before the end of 2023, we might see these types of obstacles show their faces. I'm, I'll I'll go ahead and 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 start, David. Um, the the uh, the su the supply disruptions are not going away anytime soon, and and if and if if anything, I think they're going to deepen, and they're going to get uh, they're going to get worse because uh, it, the saber rattling, you know, doesn't doesn't portend well. And if you know, if you're looking at where, if you look at what you're consuming or what you use, uh, if you look at the where the intermediaries, the intermediates come from, you know, if seventy, if you're in the pharmaceutical industry and seventy percent of the drug intermediates come from China, then you know you, you're going to have a hard time making the drugs, even though the drug is made here. If the intermediates come from offshore, you're going to have a hard time manufacturing. And so I, I think, you know, it's, it would be prudent to take a look at, you know, where the components are coming from. If you're assembling motors and 99% of it, you know, is, is made and, and manufactured in the United States, but there's one component that comes from offshore. And it's a card or something like that. It's a it's a chip that and and we and you can't get it. Then you're sitting there with a almost built motor that you cannot you cannot you know doesn't work. And so I I think I think it's going to deepen and I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, I think we have only started to you know onshore some of our or reshore some of the manufacturing to other areas. But I think you know. If, if I if I was a betting man, I would say uh, I would I would be looking closely if I'm manufacturing where all my intermediates are coming from and and trying to uh, uh, trying to figure out what the uh, who, who my who my uh, secondary tertiary quaternary suppliers are <laughs> in order to in order to have a a backup plan. Uh, you know, you can only do so. You can only carry so much inventory, and then it gets depleted as well. So it's not the most. It's not the most efficient use. It can get you through some. But there's. Go ahead, David. Well, well I, I completely agree with that. And the only thing I would add to that is is <clears throat> something that I I read recently. Um, for example, specific to the steel industry, the capacity for making steel in this country is growing rapidly. Unfortunately. Demand, global demand for steel is going to be down anywhere from one to five percent over the next couple of years. Those things, for example, uh, portend, and since it's a leading indicator for a lot of industries, that kind of portends some some recessionary pressure. So if you couple Chris's points about supply chains not going to be get much better, a number of, of materials that we need that we use as organizations and as for either the products we provide or our cons or our customers consume, um, a lot of those raw materials come from places that aren't necessarily our friends. Uh, we can't really rely on that. Um, so you're going to, again, diversification of your supplier group. 
you know, if you're a, if you're an end user, if you're a consumer, you, you need to figure out exactly what Chris said. Where does my stuff come from and where else can I get it? Um, we start seeing some recessionary pressures. Obviously, it's, it's, it's intentional in some respects because we've got to slow down an inflationary pressures. Um, you know, what what does what does that what challenges does that create for an organization? Um, does that mean you got to let headcount go? Does that mean you've got to uh, expand your customer base? You know, there's a lot of different ways that, you know, things that you can do to try to mitigate some of this stuff. But at the end of the day, those challenges are coming. They're, they're not, I mean, there's, they're not warning signs. They're here. And, and we've, you know, from as a supplier to heavy industry, uh, we're already seeing decreases in consumption, decreases in volume, decreases in demand. It's been going on since August. Um, so our, you know, as an organization, our shift and our focus was to diversify our customer base, um, broaden out our base so that we can can survive or weather uh, those kind of challenges so that, you know, hopefully when things turn the other direction, because they always do, um, we're going to be that much stronger and, and have a broader base to launch from and, and to accelerate our growth. But yeah, knowing what knowing where your products are coming from, knowing what you, what your challenges are going to be on the supply chain side, and agree with Chris, they're not going away, and and are likely to um, become more complicated. Okay, so that's some pretty portentous predictions there. Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> well, I was gonna I was gonna say in the the. Uh, uh, yeah, it's it may not be you know may not be what people want to hear, but the other thing is is that uh, you know even though we may have some recessionary uh, a, a recessionary environment go on, the increasing prices aren't going to go away. No, we we have inflation um, because of scarcity. We don't have inflation because we have an overheated economy. It's because of scarcity you know that we've done to ourselves <laughs> beyond you know uh beyond a little bit beyond our control at at our level but you know that's it's scarcity and so you see things you know and, and just in everyday life you go to the store and it's like how do you run out of eggs so the next time you go to the store and there's eggs you buy twice as many as you need because <laughs> there's a scarcity uh, and so that type of inflation is not going away. So there's going to be a continual upward pressure on prices and those costs get passed on to the consumer and passed all the way through, you know, to the cost of products and services. Yep. Agreed. Well, those are solid points. So three, three, three kind of tea leaf predictions here is that we'll see uh, supply chain disruption deepen. We'll see recessionary pressure increase, and we'll see inflation continue in 2023. Okay, well, we'll see, you know, maybe we'll have a we'll follow up with the year and see how we did on this. But let's also, not, let's move from the dark corners of the tea leaves. Let's move to, to some of the, like where I kind of, you know, I had a conversation with somebody recently and they were like, oh, you know, chat GPT-4, I, we're all out of a job. We're all being replaced by robots. It's over. And I was like, man, I, you know, I'm, man, I know people said that when the internet came out, like this is going to just eliminate jobs. And it's like, well, if there's people, people inherently want to work and those who want to work are going to find work. That's what we're, that's what we're saying here. And, and so there's going to be opportunity. So I guess the question that I want to kind of pose is what are, what's maybe an opportunity that you see that's going to, we're going to see starting to form or shape or take a big role in 2023? 
I, I can tell you what we're doing as an organization. I mean, we're, we're diversifying our business. We're looking at, at opportunities where um, things that aren't necessarily our core business, which is distribution of petroleum and fluids and liquids. Uh, what are the things that are uh, that our customers are, are demanding or need for where they spend their money? And can we be a provider for that? Um, so we're, we're expanding our minds uh, to get out of that, you know, turn inventory into, into cash mode into what other services can we do? We're, we're, I mean, we're a product-driven industry. Or we, my, my side of it is. What can we do to, to, to add additional services that are potentially recurring um, that are of the right margin and where we can be, a, be a, an expert at it? And so, yeah, when, when supply chain, you know, Perfect example, uh, John, is my conversations with your team um, as a service, and, I, and I, I'm not here to sell for Red List, but at the end of the day, um, those kind of relationships that you have to develop and expand, you know, dilute the impact of the, ne of the negative things we're talking about. You, you've got to find a way to be more to your customer, to retain them, number one, number two, to advance your uh, your your their 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 commitment or reliance upon you as an organization or as a provider, um, and so the every every one of these challenges we're talking about creates an opportunity somewhere else. You just have to get your eyes up off the ground, look to the horizon, figure out what you can be good at, and then go be best at it. I mean, figure out a way to do it, and then go you know figure out what what fits your your company, your model, your mode, whatever, and then go be the best at it. Invest it goes back to investing in your people, training them up for a different different skill sets, um, advancing those opportunities within your existing customer base, and then that's going to lead to a, to new customers as well. That's that's the way I see those challenges creating opportunities for us. No, it's awesome. Awesome. Okay, Chris. All right. Well, I think uh, you know if we're, if I'm reading the tea leaves and and looking at opportunities, I think there's you know, there's going to be opportunities where we see uh, onshoring of some manufacturing and reshoring of stuff uh, coming back to the United States, which will give, you know, we see that with some semiconductors and stuff. It may take years for them to get the plants up and running, but it's uh, the trend is there, and those will be those will be very skilled jobs uh, that will be coming back, you know, to North America. I think um, focusing on energy efficiencies. And you know, in the repair and 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 of equipment, trying to get them in a precise state so that to reduce energy consumption, because energy isn't going to get cheaper, uh, and it's the right you know it's the right thing to do to uh, go ahead and try and produce our things for the lowest cost. And, you know, focus on energy efficiency. And then, if I go to the if I if I look at um, you know, we're talking about the, the the skill gap sometimes between um, you know those those that are retiring and and leaving the workforce and those coming in. And I think sort of the the digitalization of of that of that tribal knowledge, you know, um, is going to be is going to be big. And trying to get those work processes in a format and and in somebody's hands, and that's that's really where we see. Um, you know, we're excited to we're excited to use 
you know, red list. And like David said, it's like for us, it's a it's a it's a tool that allows you to learn as you work and have those reminders and have all that stuff with you. Um, you know, that gives you the the ability to 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 design your system so that you have single point learning so people can learn without having to leave off to another platform you know and 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 have those kpis and have that visibility and when it comes to reliability it's a if i'm talking to people uh you know at the plant level it's a confidence game um if they're confident that something is being done they will have a better day they will have a better life you know and they're confident that everything is being done as it should um it makes a huge difference um it is all about confidence and having platforms that uh that go and grab the data and put it and wrap it up into one spot where you can access it from your phone and see that yeah nothing's left hanging out everybody's taking care of stuff i can see that the job has been done um, that gives you the confidence uh, to uh, to leave work at work when you go home, <laughs> as opposed to exactly. getting the calls in the middle of the night, which is, you know, that's one of the things that got me into doing precision maintenance was how do I get this phone to stop ringing? Well, I have to fix machines differently than how we've done it in the past. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not going to get a night of sleep. No, I think that those are solid points. And I. I love kind of, I think, you know, David just mentioned this really lightly, even though he mentioned it earlier, is that like, the, what I just kind of captured from the tea leaves is that I'm reading the bones as they shake out, is that the growth mindset is going to thrive in 2023. The people that are lacking that confidence, the people that are lacking like this, oh man, I can't do anything because it's, I'm losing, it's something, something's beyond my control. Like those guys are going to have a challenge. But the ones who can adopt that growth mindset that Dave kept referencing and really that you've continued to express, Chris, right, is they're going to thrive in 2023. And so I, I kind of picked up, I'm, and it was fun, is even you, he kind of premised that, and then you guys rattled off like several more positive things than even the obstacles, which we talk about, which is kind of a fun thing because the obstacles, I mean, if you want to sit down and grab a coffee with somebody, obstacles come flowing out, right? But with you guys and the conversations that we've had, it's the it's the opportunities actually kind of spilled off even faster. Uh, and so that was kind of fun. So I'm hearing a few things, and and David, I might you, you need to correct me on this because I might be interpreting this just a little bit because from some of the stuff I'm seeing. But I'm one of the things that you said and I'm capturing is that maintenance as a service is going to emerge in a big way in 2023. We're going to see that really be emotion that happens is people realize that they need more and they need people with that experience with that expertise and we're going to see a lot of people organizing themselves to provide more of maintenance as a service coming up yeah. and it, uh, it's, it, i'm starting to interrupt you the extension of that the yeah. simple as demand for people's products go down there's going to be there's going to be pressure on costs correct it always goes that way as revenue decreases yeah. pressure cost increases and the solution to pressure pressure on on operating cost is reliability and 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 90 percent of the organizations we deal with maintenance is is the centerpiece of reliability even though they may have a reliability engineer maintenance is the execution they, they execute the reliability plan and you know there are your software pro programs for example there are other resources out there there are training resources out there but that's where the pre where i see the pressure coming is in the de in the decrease in demand, which means a decrease in revenues for producers for manufacturing, 
is going to it's going the, the reverse effect where those lines cross is the increase in pressure on the maintenance team to keep the plant running don't spend any money don't break anything you know if it's broke put bu- bubble gum and duct tape on and keep it running you know we're not we're, you're not going to get capital for you know a new you know rolling uh, uh, you know rolling barriers you're not going to get them so make sure the ones we have don't break sorry to get off on a tangent there no that's that's beautiful that that there's there's opportunity in that is what we're saying and uh, and then also like we we're gonna see onshoring. You know, you talk about the trend of onshoring and reshoring coming back online. You know, Arizona just announced they're doing huge investment in fabs out there. I don't know. Do you know off the top of your head the number of billions of dollars that they've committed for that, Chris? I don't. I don't. But I know. I know that in Utah they just announced um, just maybe a month ago that we just won this big bid for bringing. Texas Instruments fabs to Utah. So that was an $11 billion investment that TI just committed to putting um, manufacturing facilities here. So we're going to see that in a big way. And that's, maybe we won't see it like, we won't see it maybe in 2023. But we're going to see more announcements like this happen and people lining up to say, how do I get that business? Right? Yeah. And then you talked about energy efficiency is going to be a big deal. And efficiency in general, like what uh, David just called out like we're gonna see if you guys if, if people are finding out how to attack and provide opportunities for efficiency with that growth mindset they're gonna win there's gonna be a lot of opportunity there and then of course the digitization of this like how do we take all these things and streamline it so we can bring people up to speed faster so we can get them more confident in a, mm-hmm. in a faster method we're gonna see these types of opportunities and frankly the relation what I see is is there's a, this is a big opportunity for guys in the field right because we're going to a lot of people that are supposed to make some of these shifts, you know, either the shift of a growth mindset in general or the shift of like maintenance changes like David talked about or or efficiencies in their business or training changes, like all these different types of things. I'm gonna, It takes a relationship to give someone that confidence. And this is really where I think, you know, why we even started this whole this kind of series of our webinars and our podcasts we're moving into, because really like. You guys, uh, people don't realize just how powerful your relationship is. The fact that you guys are, you have these, they look to you for trust. The people in the field are saying, what am I supposed to do? And and they're not going to, you've been working, building that relationship. As you guys told your stories, I mean, this has been going on for decades. This isn't, your relationships aren't the type of thing that can just be turned on overnight by a Facebook click or something like that. It's like, and so you guys are in a unique position, I think, to take advantage of these opportunities. And so it's kind of, it's kind of fun to be part of that conversation. So I want to just thank you guys for joining us today. I want to let you guys know and uh, our other audience members, obviously this will be available on our website. We'll make this available on some of our social media. And over time, we'll kind of, as we kind of wrap these into our podcast framework, you'll, you'll be, this will be available through traditional podcast channels. But for now, I want to thank you guys for your time. Thank you for your inputs. Uh, we really look forward to kind of how this year plays out and we look forward to continue to hear about your successes as time moves on so we can have you on again. Yeah, thank you for having us. Appreciate it very much. Yes, thank you, John. We appreciate it. Hey, we appreciate you guys. Thank you so much and you have a great day.